Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here, the Tuesday edition. And we're going to spend this hour, and we got two hours that Dr. Larry and I are going to follow up on some themes that are going to begin this hour. So we're going to have three hours of great radio and over the next three hours. We're going to talk about things from perspective that people don't normally talk about. And joining me uh, to help me along is the Swamp Girl herself, from Columbia, South Carolina. Pam, Pam, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Tom. It's pretty hot down here, though. Uh, guess what? It's pretty hot. Doing it's pretty, pretty good hot today. Here. Yeah, it's pretty hot here, too. So, uh, yeah, we we actually got what we call very humid. Well, at least we did have humid weather until it started raining. Yeah, well, it was only 91 <laughs> degrees here, but the heat index got up to 102. Um yeah. Because it's just wet out there, you know. It's just and yeah. it's a little bit difficult to do things outside, you know. But people yeah. are still walking outside and and doing. You kind of learn how to do that here. But it's yeah. when yeah. you do about a uh, probably a quarter of a mile walk and you get home and you're just wet, you know. <laughs> yeah, and wet doesn't sweaty wet. Yeah, I know what you mean. Right. It's not sweaty. It's there's that much wet in the air. You just. Yeah. Right, yeah. But here's what we're going to do. Some, yeah, here's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to. There's some things I've been writing about. I want to get your views on them. Uh, I'll put them on DonaldsonTFiles.com. DonaldsonTFiles.com. That's the uh, my blog that I do in association with the show. And plus, sometime this hour, I'm going to read excerpts of my book that is now in the publishing. Uh, it was with the publisher. So we're, you know, trying to get it published. So, and and you, Pam, will be the first to comment and listen <laughs> to America at the Abyss. So, but. I read the last uh, excerpt that you sent out, the last little thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's going to be pretty now, interesting. Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, yeah, I. I've had people say to me privately, you know, uh, and and we're going to talk more about this tomorrow as well. I mean, this is what I wrote at DonaldsonTFiles.com, uh, which I did put on the, uh, you know, the timeline for Twitter. And, mm-hmm. and basically, here's the way I'm kind of looking at it is this, you know, Biden is the symptom 
Well, many of the Democratic Party are shocked by what has happened in Afghanistan. And we've seen, you know, off-the-record leaks that uh, that we, in the military and intelligence, told Joe this would happen. And there are even a few people in the media complaining. Uh, now, the reality is, you know, the Biden bungling of Afghanistan was a disaster that's been coming for two decades. Uh, and, but the policy, but Biden's policy turned it into disaster. But his policy turned it into disaster or anything but Afghanistan. Now, here's the point I'm going to make to the audience. And this is a point you know, I made on Twitter, and that is this. Would we have seen anything different with a, another Democrat, if a President Harris, a President Sanders? Uh, for example, economic. Okay, the economic plan of Joe Biden is increased spending, loose monetary policy, increased taxes on the productive side of the productive part of society. Uh, and we have to say inflation is like too much money chasing too few goods. But the plan we're seeing now would not produce enough goods to soak up the loose money. In other words, inflation, the, you know, inflation may not be the transitory thing. We may see a repeat of the 70s. Now, the energy policy are based on the illusion that we can produce all of our energy with wind and solar while eliminating fossil fuels. So that's the goal. But yet we have, you know, Joe Biden begging OPEC to increase product production. But again, would anybody else done this any differently? You know, the foreign policy has been a disaster. But would a any of these other individuals done the foreign, you know, done foreign policy any different than what we'd be seeing? You know, you know immigration and crime. Uh, these are all issues where, quite frankly, you know, would there been a major change? From any other president. In other words, uh, yeah, and this is a point I make: Biden's policies would have been a disaster in any leading Democratic presidential candidate. Their policy followed Biden. Bernie Sanders essentially wrote the 3.5 trillion dollar stimulus. Alexandra Cortez wrote the Biden version of the Green New Deal. And you know, so, my question to you is. Uh, is by you know, would there have been anything different from any other Democrat based on some of the you know based on what I said? Uh, do you see a President Harrison, a President Sanders doing that much different in what we're seeing right now? Your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts on that is definitely no, and but my reasoning may be a little bit different because you're talking about individuals. I believe that the Democratic Party on the whole has been hijacked. Um, and I don't think Biden has full reign, and I don't think Harris would have full reign. And as far as Bernie's concerned, I think that Bernie would have totally ignored Afghanistan. Bring him home. Don't worry about it. You know, see you bye. It, you know, uh, I think his his uh, he would have been a little bit different. Um, but. I think it's the handlers in the party right now. I don't think it is um, Biden himself being president that's making a difference, and I don't think it would be Harris herself that's making a difference, you know. Um, I believe it's the handlers, and the handlers are still stuck on anything but Trump. They're still stuck on it, and as long as they stay stuck on that, 
you're going to see the same thing with anybody who's president in the Democratic Party right now. I mean, there's people behind the scenes there that are doing stuff. You know, these generals and stuff knew better. You can't tell me these military people didn't know better and didn't, you know. um, But the ignorance is anything but Trump. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly what I mean, because if you look at the the immigration policy, for example, they reversed everything he did on immigration. I mean, one of the aspects is we saw a decrease in illegal immigrants coming into the country, and we've seen now we've seen the flood coming in. And so they did that. Uh, I know in the Middle East, they went back to the policies of Obama dealing with Iran and trying to restart the Iranian deal, and they pretty much ignored the Abraham Accord, which would have united the Sunni, you know, the Sunni Arabs and the uh, Israelis. Correct. And right. so it's, yeah, right. Well, you know, it's almost like anybody but Trump. Uh, or if, well, they even thought, if Trump even thought of it or even talked about it, they are totally going in the opposite direction. Um, whereas yeah. some of his stuff may have been good, but nobody wants to look at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly um, what you mean. But here's the question, yeah. from, because you make, but here, but you make an interesting point. You mean who's controlling the party? And I think that's a legitimate yeah. question to ask. And because I know that, you know, my normal, you know, like Coco, you know, you know, for the past two past year, has always talked about the influence of the Bernie Sanders, which she called the Bernie Bros. And I think Correct. the Bernie Bros have a definite impact on the political. Uh, a definite impact on the, where the party is going. As I stated, you know, again, that's the reason why I made the statement. You know, would we have seen that much difference? Because, like I say, Bernie Sanders essentially is writing the green. I mean, wrote a good portion of the stem. I mean, this was like coming out, you know, his, you know, his ideas, and certainly Alexander Cortez and came, you know, the environmental policy, the green, you know, the climate gates, uh, the climate climate. Uh, change policies and the energy policies are coming pretty much out of Alexander Cortez. And it's, you know, you know, I guess the, you know, and so my question is going to be, and I want you to think about this uh, as we take a, you know, take a quick break here. Uh, you know, who do you think is influencing the party at this point? This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? 1 in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? 1 in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. 
Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Hi, Brian. Welcome back to the Donaldson Files here in the Bachelor's Radio Network. Look, folks, if you want to know more about how to listen to our shows, here's what you need to do. Go to bachelornews.airtime.pro. Thebachelornews.airtime.pro. This show is repeated every day at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or, yeah, Eastern Standard Time. And so, and you can do that every day. You can also get us on StreamYard, iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and Anchor.com. So all of those places you can uh, see all of those. Listen to this show repeatedly. And, and if you want to learn more about we have a special price on advertising, uh, an introductory price, give us a call or email labachelor40 at gmail.com, labachelor40 at gmail.com. Tom. All right. All right. Okay. We left. Okay. Here's the question I left you with. Who do you think's running the party? Who do you think's in charge? Which wing of the party is in charge? Which wing of the party? I believe. Yeah. I believe when you when you ask a question like that, um, as a regular person walking around, follow the money. Whoever's ever given the biggest donations to the party is usually the person that has the most influence on the party. Now we know the we know that the money maker is Obama. You know that's what he does. That's what he's always done. That's what he knows how to do. However, the when you're talking about policies and things like that, just look. One of the individual donors with the highest number, uh, the highest amount of money, I believe, is a drug company. Um. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I probably need to say that on the radio, but anybody could look it up. You know, yeah. if you look and see who is contributing the most to the Democratic Party, then you'll usually know who has the reins of the horse. You know. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Okay, here's the answer. Yeah, actually, interesting enough because I make this, I made this point in my last book, and I'm making it, and it, and certainly it's a point uh, that. Uh, you know that I'll be making in this, uh, this you know as well. But to answer the question, but I hate, I hate to yeah, say it the other but, way around. Who who made up? Who made most money off of us going into war? And you know, I, I could run to both sides of the fence sometimes. But back then, you know, everybody had their hands dipped into, and I'm talking about Republican and supposedly, but um, they had their hands dipped into the war machine. You know their their interests, their investments, things like that, um, and you know you kind of have to shake your head and say these people are going to benefit the most from this chaos right now. You know who benefits the most from me having to pay so much for gas or me having to pay that? Who's going to benefit the most from that? That's when I might look into an electric car. Boom! Look who's who's contributing to this stuff. How did the Green New Deal come about? No, AOC did not write that thing. I know that. 
she wasn't she just hasn't uh exhibited enough intelligence to write something like that. Bernie? Yeah, maybe. Well, that's just where I'm at with it. Well, here's the follow thing. Follow the I mean, money. You bring up, now, okay, let's follow the money because the money comes in different ways. Uh, one of the points I made is that basically what you have is a combination of oligarchies, your, your big tech companies, who are your, probably your Correct. biggest contributors to the Democratic Party. And then you have you know everybody's Republicans' favorite uh, boogeyman, uh, George Soros and the Soros. And certainly Soros over the years has been a bigger contributor. Uh, and I would say, you know, what you have is a party funded by some very wealthy people, and you have a party, as I stated in my first book, Democratic, you know, the rise of democratic socialism, is that the Democratic Party, even though is essentially the Socialist Party of America. So, you know, I would say that it's a common you're following the money, but the money comes in from, let's say. The uh, the oligarch, you know, the the tech companies. An example would be, and what we call in the the political business, Zuckerberg dollars, bucks. Well, Zuckerberg from Facebook contributed hundreds of millions of dollars on get out the vote type campaigns in you know right. 2020. So, you know, he's a, he's a major player at the table. Uh, he's a major right. player at the table, and and certainly. You know, he's also a guy that, you know, I mean, and it's kind of a, see, my theory is very simple, and I'll, I'll throw this out to you. My theory is very simple in that socialism as we identify it is not going to be the socialism we end up seeing. It would be more closer to what I would view as fascism as opposed to socialism right. in the sense that you're going to have private companies exist. Uh, Facebook's job Will be you know they're the media, you know they're part of that media side of the equation to make sure that uh, and and what they would like you know what and again they work in concert with their democratic you know their democratic politicians whether it's censorship you know censoring certain people from being on you know censoring certain ideas from being on mm-hmm. uh, and Twitter and all of those I mean if you go back just to the case of uh, simply trying to, you know, the Joe Biden story or the New York Post, essentially, you know, for about one week, they were not even allowed to tweet anything. Story Correct. And if, you, and if you try to treat that story, you know, you were blocked from doing it. I mean, I know I tried to pass it around twice for like a 40 or 48 hours. Well, here's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch your. Scratching the back is, you know, Facebook is a very powerful entity. They are controlling the social media. They have expanded the social media. And basically, they will love nothing more than have a regulatory atmosphere that keeps future opponents out and allows them more power to stay in. In other words, make sure the regulations hurt the guys behind me, not me. In exchange, they make their deals with the Democratic Party when it comes down to Censoring certain ideas, uh, you know. Go look at the parlor. An uh, example of this, you know, like, you know. Now I use this in the book. You know, parlor. Essentially, what happened to parlor is competing with Twitter, and that many, and they were lo- Twitter was losing people to to parlor. 
and Parler is basically becoming the conservative version of Twitter. I don't know if you have a Parler account or not. Or you I have did. One. I still do. Yeah, I did before all of that happened and it yeah. went offline. Well, I mean, the thing that came in play um, is like, you know, whether it's Amazon, Facebook, uh, Apple, you know, basically they pretty much prohibited Parler from being, you know, able to get their message out. You know, it's, you know, the long and the short of it is. They took them off the Internet. I mean, you couldn't get on for yeah. what, months? I mean, you know, months, I, yeah. I, w- I had been on Parler and, um, you know, had followed a few people and stuff because I'm not a big social media person. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting how they did that. And then when they came up, they came up in a little blurb, you know, it just came up in a little blurb and then they went away again. It was interesting, you yeah. know. And they're back up now, I believe, right? Yeah, they're back up, but it's certainly they don't have the same yeah. impact they had before. Uh, and it's, yeah. and it's, well, uh, nobody's fixing to my, get elected right now. Yeah, <laughs> but my yeah, but my point would be, my, the point that I'm making here is that they did the bidding of the Democratic Party, and they did it in such a way as to keep it legal. You know, it's fine like the government is keeping this first these people from speaking out. It was a private company's keeping people from speaking, which is, I guess, quote unquote, is their right. Now, you know, that's again, you know, we've had that discussion on this show, and we'll continue to have that discussion yeah. about the power of the social media. But my point would be, you know, you asked the question, follow the money. You asked the question, is that what we're witnessing is the rise of major corporations aligning themselves with a leftist government to basically find their place to make their deals while at the same time those companies, in particular small businesses as well, are the ones who are going to get the shaft. In other words, we'll make our deal with the government as long as they allow us, and the deal with the government is going to be is we will allow you to stay in existence if, if you produce what we want you to produce. We want you to produce more green cars. You produce more green cars. Uh, if we want you to produce wind turbines and solar power, we want you to do exactly that. Uh, if you're the gun industry, you know, if we are a banker, we don't, you know, we want to put the pressure that you don't loan money out to gun manufacturers in an effort mm-hmm. to get them out of business. And so, what we're witnessing is what I call feudal fascism. And and I and I'm going to borrow the term from Joe Cockton, who, you know, phrased this. You know, he kind of phrased it very similar, as he said, the coming of the new fascism. That's how he defines it. Uh, and again, it's not, you know, it, you know, when fascism comes to America or national socialism, it's not going to come, you know, with funny-looking guys with goose stepping, uh, with funny-looking <laughs> mustaches. They're going to come with guy, bureaucrats running. You know, bureaucrats and government officials wearing Brooks Brothers suits. Uh, you know, just look at China. Uh, China, to me, is what the future could be. You know, it is national socialism. You know, they allow private sector companies to exist, but if you know, but they also, on occasion, remind those companies, as they've been doing recently, you know, just remember we're the boss, and if we choose. To put you in your place, we'll put you in your place. Uh, your thoughts? 
Oh, well, I believe that we're kind of sort of doing that now with all this masking, unmasking, masking kids, unmasking, vaccinating, unvaccinating. Um, I, I believe that uh, we have been moving in, in that direction. I mean, we have mandates on all kinds of stuff that people don't don't realize right now um, and haven't thought about because it became mainstream. Um uh, they're just to me is uh, pretty much the problem with being. I'd really have issue with the media, but that's been going yeah. on for a long time, and we've kind of sort of ignored it. Um, we've ignored it, and we've reveled in the fact that we have media companies out there giving us information from all over the world and stuff. And oh, these people look like they're doing better. Why would people want to run to America anyway right now? Try to think about that. You know, what is it? Oh, because of the media hype. You know, everybody's telling them, hey, he's landing the free, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, turning out to be that way. Um, hold on, yeah, hold I, on, I, I believe we're slowly turning. I believe we're slowly turning into that. You know, Tom, I um, we don't realize it now. I mean, when you uh, – they're calling things uh, – they're not calling, I mean, you know, whereas you and I would say, hey, we're having taxation without representation. Um, when they put taxes on you for how much you make and, and things like that. But then um, with this infrastructure bill and stuff, they want to put Internet access. Now, there's a key word to that, Internet access. That happened here in South Carolina in one county with one per- particular person, whereas monies were spent for Internet access, which means they put the poles up and they put the wires up. But you, as a general consumer, still had to pay that high cable bill if you wanted to hook into it. So, yeah, you had access, but you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It wasn't free. Absolutely. It was <laughs> you know? part of the money. Yeah, yeah hold on to that thought. Hold yeah. on to that thought. This Tom Donaldson. This is Tom Donaldson here at the Donaldson Files with uh, uh, the Swamp Girl, Pam. Here yeah. the Donaldson Files and Ambassador News Radio Network. Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Let's go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget the Bachelor News Radio Show uh, with your host, L.A. Bachelor, uh, is live every Monday and every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can get it on Block Talk Radio on this network at that time, and it's rebroadcast every day, 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, and if you want to, let's say, a show that discusses this issue, race, politics, policing, and justice, inequality in religion and sports 
Well, that's the Bastard News Radio Show here on the Bastard News Radio Network. And you can listen to that on thebachelornews.airtime.pro. All right. All right. Back to uh, – okay, okay. Okay, you make a pretty interesting point there, and I wanted to kind of follow up on the point that you just uh, make. It's, you know, follow the money. You, you make a very interesting, you know, local example. All right, we're going to give you internet access. Hmm. But in order to get this internet access, you got to pay the cable bill. So that means someplace, somebody, Correct. somebody, somebody lobbied and said, "Okay, you know, we'd be happy to help you put all of this up. What are you going to do for us?" Uh, Correct. So kind of you know, go ahead and sound on this. You know how this works. I mean, it's, how does this work in South Carolina? An example, and then we're going to follow up on that. Well, here's here's one of the examples, and and this is why I say we've slowly given up some of our freedom. Um, we had a, and he's still in office, so I don't even want to mention him because I really have a problem with the dude. Um, but um, in his district, which is uh, Richland County in South Carolina, I will say that much parts of it. Um, they decided to do internet access for people and. What they did was that happens to be a pretty good part of uh, horse country, we would say. There's one section out there where, you know, people raise horses and they uh, there's a horse shelter out there. There's a horse rescue place out there because we, we actually are not thoroughbred country, but a lot of people from New York bring their horses down here to stable them for the races. I mean, you know, it's just it's a thing. We have race horses down here. We have steeplechases down here still. And what they did was uh, the trucks came along and they went on private property and started digging the holes and putting the poles up. So uh, when we ran out there and said, what are y'all doing? They said, well, we're giving you cable access. Well, we don't want cable access poles on the property where the horses are because somebody might let the horses out when they're coming to check the wires or whatever. Or what happens in a storm down here. I mean, you know, we still get hurricanes and stuff. Um you know, what's going to happen then? You know, is it going to be a live wire laying in, in, you know, what? I mean, at that time, we didn't know uh, much about cable stuff. And, uh, no, they put the pole up. They put the lines up. So nobody tapped in. But where each pole was gave that company, that private company, access to your property. They could go in that pasture at any time leave a gate open if they wanted to, upset the horses with the big trucks and everything because they had put the poles up. There was not a thing anybody could do about it, nothing. Hmm. And to this day, hmm. when you're hooked up to electricity, when you're hooked up to cable, when you're hooked up, you know, wired, something is wired or gas even to your house, that gives uh, the, the companies access to your home. And people don't realize mm-hmm. that, but we gave that up a while back, and that's what I was talking about, you know, pretty much, yeah. that we've slowly been giving up some of our freedoms. Like, I bought this house. I paid for it. Yeah, I got to pay taxes on it every year. Um, I should have some say-so, but as long as I'm wired up, um, you know, people can come on my property and do their service work, you know, whatever. It's well, just crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Now, I mean, this, like I said, this is a pretty, like I said, it's a local example, but it's a, 
example nevertheless where let's say what appears to be free is not really free and that right. uh, you know as you say you know, follow the money uh, but this is a point I'm making as well and it goes back to you know a point that I you know you know that you know you're absolutely correct on uh, but but like I say I mean to me the biggest concern that I have it goes back is in fact you know where we're going from here uh, I just got finished reading a very interesting book by a woman by the name Carl Roth who talked about you know the pandemic and she basically you know detailed how small businesses were pretty much got the shaft as she noticed she said you know, we didn't really have a true lockdown. What we had, we had a lockdown of small businesses in many of these communities. Correct. Uh, well, that's what I read so much about because they funneled everybody to Walmart. Are you kidding me? They funneled yeah. everybody to Walmart. It was the only store that was open for miles. It got exempt for some reason because it was Walmart. So, therefore, you had yeah. a higher population going into one one area because mom and pop's grocery yeah. stores were closed, you know, that was yeah. the craziest well, you, thing you know, I ever seen. It, it's crazy, but you know these are the things that impact the small businesses, because a lot of these small hundreds of thousands of these businesses went out of business. And if you look in the, you know, it's not just the rural areas, but middle class, you know, or suburban areas. But if you look in the urban centers as well, same thing. You saw the exact same thing where small businesses, many of them minority owned, were con- considered not essential, uh, but the Walmart was. Uh, Walmart was. You could you could buy flowers at Walmart, but you couldn't buy flowers at the floral shop down the street that Mom and Pop's had for seventy years. Yeah, you know. But yeah, but this goes back. I mean, this is an example of where you know we're heading off to in this regard. Uh, And I think it's a very interesting regard because you know, and I say this repeatedly throughout the pandemic. You do not want to have a government with the kind of power that will declare certain business, uh, business essential and certain business non-essential. Business is not essential. And that's too much power to give any government. Uh, even in a pandemic, it's way too much power. Uh, and I think you make well, a very good point. Just wait on it. Just- just wait right. for it because they're fixing to say that that all these uh, Ford and Chevy, if they don't come up with the electric cars, just wait for it. Wait to see how the taxes are going to work because they're selling trucks, you know, that are non-electric. They're gas gas vehicles. Just wait yeah. for it. I'm waiting on it. Yeah. Well, what I'm going to wait for because it's interesting because they're already giving tax breaks if you buy an electric car. Yeah, well, this new infrastructure bill, yeah, but you got to charge it somewhere. But this new infrastructure bill that they have puts uh, a tax, and people don't realize it, but it puts a tax on uh, going so, doing so much mileage on a car now, you know, a gas car. I mean, they're actually yeah. doing a travel tax thing, and I'm like, what? Yeah. It, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's expensive. Not, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That means I can't yeah, come but, see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know. It's horrible. <laughs> okay. Okay, here's the deal. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, this, this is what uh, Pam is talking about. Infrastructure bill includes a per mile road 
tax test that would track drivers' travels. Yeah. But here, okay, and, and so, okay, here's the, you know, this is the article. This was in a thing called The Drive. Automakers are being pressured by the federal government and singling that, let's say, all half of your cars have to be electric by 2030. In other words, the government's going to tell Detroit, this is what we want you to produce. Correct. Okay. But here's the thing. You know, as fuel cars visit the pump, uh, you know, if you have an electric car, for example, guess what? You know, you're not going to get charged the gas tax. So what do you, how do you do this? And the answer would be is you do what you've just suggested. You come up with a tax per mile, which leads me to an interesting aspect is how do you – First of all, determine this. Determine this. Oh, see, here's uh, the fun part because all these new cars have these uh, OnStar things on them that they can turn on and off at will. If law enforcement can turn them on and off at will to track a car, uh, hello. Yeah. I'm not kidding you, dude. And 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 my my fun thing is, is okay. Um, Let's say we have a 65 Chevy that we put on the road every once in a while because it's a show car, right? Yeah. Who's going right. to be tracking that? Who's going to be – how are you uh, – am I going to be required to put a tracker on it so you can know how far we go in this car, which is a V8, which is a big old gas guzzler? You know, you, you see what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. How are you going to do that? That's exactly. How are you going to do yeah. that with the show cars? You know, how are you? What are you going to do? Are you going to mandate? Mandate? Hell, that's a fun word these days. But are you going to mandate that we put this this on our cars if we don't have it installed on the cars when we buy them? Number one. Number two. They're not making electric cars to handle South Carolina weather. I don't know about weather up there where it gets thirty four degrees below, but you try that sometime and see how how well that works with those batteries they put in them suckers. Well, let me put it back this way. I would tell you this much right now. If you get an electric car uh, in the winter, it loses about 40% or 50% of its power or of its mileage. Mm -hmm. It decreases. So the answer to your question would be, yeah, it does have an impact because you don't get the same mileage as you would get in normal weather in the middle of the winter. No, they made them for uh, California weather, which is 70 degrees, you know. <laughs> Every day, I don't yeah. think they made yeah, them for weather degrees. extremes. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know how you know how it would work in the very hot, but I know in very cold weather, it decreases its power. So, in effect, well, here they, you got to – Here they catch fire uh, often on the interstate. It, we have we have caught more car fires now than I've seen before. And I'm not saying every car out there that's electric catches fire, but – there's a higher percentage, I believe, right now. Somebody did the research of the ones that are overheating here just because of the heat. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Those are examples. You ask me who's in charge. You see how that, that, that ball just kind of yeah. drops, and it's kind of like one of those bouncy balls that hits this, and then it hits this, and then it hits this, and then it hits this before it goes down and hits the bottom. You know, it, it, it's just crazy. It, it's absolutely bizarre when you think about it. And uh, 
Everything is connected to everything else. Everything is connected. You know, the media is connected. Yeah. Money. You asked who was in power. Well, uh, you know, it's the money. Yeah. The money is in power right now. And always something, yeah. though. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, hold on. Uh, this is Tom Donaldson here, the Donaldson Finals and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, you might know me, I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We got Pam, uh, the Swamp Girl from Columbia, South Carolina, and um, I, again, this is, you make a very interesting point. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, like I said, we've been following the money, we've been looking at this, but I mean, here's the thing. It goes back to the point that I made uh, earlier, where the government is basically dictating to Detroit. Uh, you know, you're going to manufacture electric cars. Correct. Uh, okay, you're going to do this. We want you to do this. So, in effect, they're dictating what they want Detroit to do, not so much what the market wants and whether or not people actually want, they do want, you know, Detroit to say, we're going to, you're going to produce this. We want 50% in 10 years. No, or I should say less than 10 years. And you don't well, even have, let's say, that, go ahead. Well, the way, the way I look at it, though, is that that is part of a political agenda because they want this done now. It's kind of like Afghanistan. They want this done now rather than let's sit back and let these companies compete. See if we can come up with the best electric car. I'm waiting for my Jetsons vehicle, my flying car. Sorry, yeah. I've been waiting on that since I was a kid. And I do believe that we're getting there. That would be kind of fun. But um, let's wait and, and allow, if you allow companies to compete rather than force things down people's throats, and I'm talking about companies, you'll have a better outcome. You know, it's just, that's just common sense. And apparently it's no, this agenda has to be done now. I want to know what the urgency is for everything to be done now. Why does the world have to be your way right now? You know, what is what what is this about? And usually I find it's politics. Yeah, yeah. well, but like you say, you make it very – let's go back to the point you just made. Uh, you, you, you make it very – okay, there's a political agenda attached to, the, to this. 
All right. In other words, we want green cars. We want these green cars because we want to, quote, unquote, save the planet. It's an environmental thing. This is our agenda. And we're going to make you produce these cars, you know, whether or not people want the cars or not. But it also means you have to – so, in effect, it's about mirroring the image. It goes back to the point I made, you know, you know the point we talked about at the beginning of the show. Who runs the – you know, who's running the Democratic Party? Is it the people with the money? Is it the activists? Or is it a combination of both? Where let's say the car dealership says, okay, we'll make your electric car. Allow us to stay in business, and we'll make your electric cars. Uh, and the government says, okay, as long as you make electric cars and you do what we ask you to do on production side, they'll be fine. In Germany, you know, you know, private companies were told, you know, you know, why are you making those you know, Volkswagen people's car? Uh, it's on a couple of tanks <laughs> for our objectives. Yeah. yeah, but you get the point. Right. I mean, it's it's a similar strategy in which you're in which corporate America is willing to follow the tune that the government has set to stay in business. It's like as long as you do what we ask, you can make money, stay in business. But this is, you know, it goes, you know, but it is a interesting dynamic because it's, as I stated, it's the new socialism per se. It's a national socialist approach. To the yeah, economy. but see, here's here's my my issue with that. I told you about allowing companies to compete, um, and the perfect example I had for that is when they uh, wanted everybody to have airbags. You know, when we grew up, we didn't have anything like that. I don't know if it does good or not. I mean, you know, you can find all kind of statistics and all that. Less people were driving when I was younger. But the whole thing was is that um, so they forced the companies to do these safety features. Guess what? They tried to do it the cheapest way possible to keep people to, to, you know, to, to encourage people to buy the cars. Guess what? Airbags failed, you know, because they were so quick. To do production, and I believe it was the Toyota products that were recalled for that. I may be wrong, mm-hmm. probably am. Shouldn't have said it. Yeah. Um, I really, but no, if I that was that, that, those, those yeah. airbags blowing up. You know, the the cars, and they had this big, big old recall. It was mostly all GMs, I think. A lot of the GM cars and things like that. Um, but I remember, I mean. It, that that kind of stuff with litigation. Now you got you know your tort laws, all this other stuff going into play with that. Everybody wants to make some money, you know. Uh, and I understand that, but uh, I do believe that if they quit forcing Green New Deal uh, and calling it that, more people are more lenient about it. Right now, we are told that we have to recycle. Um, I thought was recycling a long time ago. Before it, be, you know, before yeah. it became like here's a here's a bucket, go put your stuff in the bucket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. No, um, people, yeah, well, people, people knew people will do the right thing if you allow them, but there was a force that, oh yeah, we're going to do this because we got to have a green, and I hate to say it, but they said a green Columbia, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but people yeah, were but, doing I mean, that. This, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, because the other aspect comes into play here is that 
uh, you know, again, it goes to you know the point that you and I have been making all along. Is you know, it's not just about. But see, here's for me, it's not just about following the money per se, as much as it's about, uh, you know, following the money, but also following the government policies in which deals are made. You know, and there is this aspect right. that's coming into play where the government is going to start dictating what you can make or not make, you know, what you can do and not do to stay in business. Uh, Correct. And in other words, what we're seeing is corporatism. It's not free market. It's corporatism. This is what Mussolini did in the 1920s. In a way, this is what Hitler did. Uh, Argentina is another country that did similar things to this. You know, the Juan Peron. And we always knew with uh, Don't Cry For Me, Ava Peron. Well, this was their whole economic policy. Uh, was exactly that. Uh, well, see, you can break you know, it back com- down to now the government wants to mandate that. Yeah. You know, they're they're yeah. trying to do that. I mean, they're, they are doing it. It's not that they're trying to do it, but they are doing it and forcing penalties on people who decide not to mask for whatever reason, you know. Well, the other thing, uh, you know, the other thing too, they're pushing companies to do this. And Correct. Companies to say, you know, you know, be a good sport. How, and, however, I will look on the other side of that as far as vaccines are concerned. When I, I worked in the hospital system for a long time too, Tom. And um, yeah. We were we we had to take a hepatitis B shot. We had to have the hepatitis B yeah. uh, vaccine. It was mandated. All right. We also had to have a TB shot, um, a TB test uh, yearly every other year. I think it was yeah. yearly. You had to have your TB test um, because TB has not gone away. I mean, all this other stuff is there, but there there are some diseases out there that are still prevalent that for some reason it's become this we will force you to take a vaccine and a require the vaccine IDs to get into places and things like that. Um, I totally take issue with all that myself personally, but I also take issue with somebody telling me I have to mask up or not. If you're a company and you say mask at the door, it's, to me it's like shirt and shoes. Yeah, they can do that and I can choose to go in that store or not. But yeah. but don't well, tell me I got to yeah. mask up in my house. Yeah. Ain't happening. Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it ain't happening exactly. But I mean, here's the thing, because it's like I said, I had this conversation with a a friend of mine uh, this morning, and we got into the conversation, and he kind of put it this way. He said, you know, massive vaccines are becoming like tribal. It's like, and what he asked me, because he said, if, I mean, uh, let me put it this way. About three weeks ago, we had on the Dr. Larry show a physician who, by the way, is a Democrat, and he's a Democrat, and he said, you know, and he, he said, he said, look, you know, here's the thing, Tom. I want the kids in the classroom itself. This remote learning is not working. The kids are falling behind. They're falling behind on the test scores. We need them into the classroom. This is where they're going to learn. And then he added uh, from places like Sweden, from places like uh, uh, Florida and Texas, and looked at, let's say, those communities that had no real mass mandates, and we're in schools. And they said not only were they learning, but there was no real significant you know, impact of the virus based on this. And 
It, so this is a doctor saying this, saying, okay, this is what – and his point was, you know, there's, you know there's, the evidence is coming in, you know, do the masks provide a significant benefit? The answer is no. But yet here we got people insisting on it, like most recently. The, uh, the governor of Oregon now is telling people, wear your mask outdoors. You know, you know why get that's the vaccine? That's what I'm talking about. That's bizarrely crazy. Yeah. This is, you know, why get the vaccine if you're not going to get your life back? You know, I remember but Kevin I wrote to – these people that are making this mask mandate, I don't think they've ever seen the inside of an eight-year-old's mask after wearing it all day. That is yeah. the nastiest, most biologically hazardous environment that you ever want to look at. Okay? Yeah. Those kids don't know to blow their nose and they don't, you know what I mean? I mean, oh, it yeah, is absolutely it. horrible. And to me, it's just like, oh, my God. Our governor well, is under the gun, though, for that, too, right now, because um, yeah. he, well, I mean, he had put in a rule for no mask mandates, and now he's coming under yeah. the gun for it. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like I said, the difference – and it's the same thing with vaccine. I, like I said, I am not – I, I, I oppose forcing people to get vaccinated for a right. virus that kills two to four per 1,000. But I got vaccinated. I think there's a benefit to get vaccinated. I think the – it's proven to be a lot safer than what you know I originally thought it would be months down the road. Uh, but I also think that it's one of those things where you know people on our side of the equation are becoming more and more anti-vaccine, as opposed to saying let's make this about choice. It's like this is I mean even Donald Trump, whose I think accomplishment was getting the vaccine in record time, something that has not been done. Well, now, I'm not an anti-vaxxer com- whatsoever. I got the vaccine. You know, I, I'll come publicly yeah, yeah. and say it. Yeah, I did. But I re- I do have an issue with forcing someone to have the vaccine. Yeah. Mine was my choice. I was not forced to have it. No company threatened to yeah. fire me to have it. Um, it was my choice. Yeah. Now, I was in a different situation, whereas I wanted to do anything to get inside a nursing home to see my mom. And if you want me to, mm-hmm. to, to – nobody ever came out and said you had to have the vaccine, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I felt like that would help me get my foot in the door at the time. So Exactly. You know. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it comes down to common sense uh, because we've been, been dealing with pandemics for a long time. And we know what works and what doesn't work. We know in the case of influenza, uh, the number one, number two things you do – is number one, you know, vaccination does reduce incidence of the flu. It doesn't prevent it. It reduces it. It reduces Correct. the impact of the virus. And number two, you got drugs like Tamiflu. So if you have the breakthrough or if you choose not to get vaccinated, you got treatment. And, we're, you know, we got the same thing almost now. We got the, mono, you know, the, the antibodies that are available through Lilly, among other things. So you have the vaccination yeah. and you have the treatment. Yeah, and you On got the other the side of the equation, though, though you, you've, you've created an environment. There are certain members of the population, if they get a sniffle or a sneeze, they're running and getting a COVID test. And then you've got the other part of the yeah. environment that snivel and sneeze, and they refuse to call in for work. They refuse to do this. They are not going to a doctor because they're scared they might have it, and they end up getting it, and then they end up in the hospital unvaccinated adults. You see what I'm saying? 
Um, yeah. And that's in a younger grace group than you or I could even talk about. But, you well, know, well, I've seen you know, that happen the, recently. Yeah. Well, here's the thing I would say, because, you know, again, you know, you know, when you look at the numbers, the overall numbers is still the people, including the unvaccinated, who are getting the sickest are still the people that are getting the sickest at the beginning. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I know exactly what you're saying, but here's it goes down to test. I mean, like I say, to me, if I designed a test, if I designed, I said, look, if I was sitting there right now and I was playing Dr. Fauci, I would say very clearly, unless you have symptoms, there's no need to test that person, especially in the line of the fact that many of the tests, like the PCR, are not necessarily accurate in showing whether or not you're infectious. Uh, in fact, right. But see, what they've done is they created that environment of fear. Yeah. You yeah, know, exactly. and, and that fear base, fear base is is making people run and get tested more, which helps your statistics because you have, you know. Uh, how do they say it? A population. To, you know what I mean? It, it yeah. helps with your statistics if you know how many people don't have it who've tested for it. You know what I mean? Uh, it's yeah. kind of crazy, but, you know, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It, it's, I mean, the problem comes in play, but again, it, like I say, it's not good public health. And it's certainly, if you look at what the CDC would have recommended in January of 2020, a lot of what we're seeing, they wouldn't have recommended at all. So, you know, but the right. record, you know, but what, you know, and this goes back down to the, the aspect of the, the quality of the scientific community, because part of science is trust. Uh, and if you lose your trust in your scientific institutions, it's going to be difficult to start treating future pandemics. And in fact, we see this yeah, now. Well, part only- of the reason. Yeah, part of the reason why I think right now. Go ahead. My concern with all of that is that I don't know if you remember when we were growing up, we learned about nature and nurture, about how to nurture Mm -hmm. babies and nurtured babies, like do a little bit better and people that touch. We already took out hugging in school. Now you're telling us that kids can't go to school. They can't social. You got a whole generation of antisocial little kids, and I'm talking about antisocial as far as behavior. They don't know how to express. Affection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're not allowed to. And we're, we're mm-hmm. creating that. Yeah. We are, right. we are well, creating that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I tell you what, we are basically running close out of time. Uh, so well, I, I want to thank you. You let me out. Yeah, I appreciate, <laughs> well, listen, I actually appreciate Now, tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Larry and I are going to follow up with some of the themes we've had tonight and and follow up with some of the discussions. So, you know, stay tuned. It should be a lively discussion because, uh, you know, Dr. Larry and I have had some private discussions. So we might actually disagree with each other. It's a rarity, but the possibility does exist. So you need to just show up for both the Donaldson Files and the Resistance Hour, Tom, and Dr. You know, Tom, Dr. Larry and Tom on the Resistance Hour tomorrow night. Uh, it's going to be a great, lively conversation. Uh, This is Tom Donaldson saying good night from the Donaldson Files. Good night. Good night.
want to welcome you to you and the Law Broadcast Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad that everybody is able to tune in and join us uh, for another episode of the broadcast show. And uh, I need to make sure that I introduce the brother that sits to the right of me. He goes by the name of T Swag. How you doing today? What's going on, brother Virgil? What's going on to the listeners out there? How's everybody doing? Oh man, it's 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 a great day. It's a great day for you and the law because we've got a, a a guest on the show, uh, and uh, he is uh, he just retired uh, Keith from being a police chief in Georgetown, South Carolina, and so we want to introduce uh, Kelvin Waits. Who, he also goes by the name of Coach Kelvin Waits. So. Glad you're able to join us, sir. Hey, I appreciate the invite, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Hey, we're glad to glad that you've taken the time out to come on and talk to us about uh, about your um, leadership and uh, life coaching practice that you launched in uh, 2019. Uh, it's called Weights Lifted Life and Leadership Coaching LLC. And so, uh, you know, Chief, you're a, you're a you're a veteran, you're a retired police chief. You're a husband, you're a dad, you're a mentor, you're a coach, you're an author, and you founded this uh, weights lifted. So, uh, tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself and how did you come about um, coming up with uh, weights lifted? Okay, all right. So, you know. You know, I was born in Harlem. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I still have the northern accent, but I was born in Harlem, New York, uh, and lived there until I was about ten. Then I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, with my family. Uh, you know, went to college, and then after college, I went to the military uh, for four years, served my country. And uh, in 1997, I started in law enforcement. Uh, been in law enforcement ever since. You know, I can tell you that when I first started. Um, Right out of the military, you know, my, my, my attitude and my posture was, you know, lock up the bad guys, arrest the bad guys. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, o- and over time, you know, I realized that there was so much more uh, involved in what we do, so much more in, in, in terms of serving and service to the public. And, and I can honestly say that, I, you know, that I've grown. Uh, and so a couple of years ago, I, you know, I started thinking about, you know, one day, I'm going to retire. I'm going to have to retire. Uh, and, you know, I need to, you know, I'm a young guy and I still want to serve in, in different capacities. And I need to come up with a way. I want to start my own business. And uh, and I researched being a life and leadership coach. And my plan was to, you know, when I retired, to roll into this and have something to do and keep it going. And so what happened is, you know, I got things up and running. Uh, and one day my daughter came to me and she says, uh, she says, Dad, do you have a name for your business? And I said, oh, I said, actually, I've been kind of struggling with that. And she <laughs> says, you know, she did. She says, listen, she said, God told me to tell you. And I listened closely, you know, because she doesn't normally come at me like that. And I said, okay. And she says, listen, your whole career, your whole life, even when you're not working, you're talking to people, you're encouraging them, you're lifting them up. So God told me to tell you that you need to name your business Waste Lifted Life And, you know, Chief Green, I could I, I didn't exchange words with her. I said, okay, 
you know, and so no. that's how things kind of – that's what it's – go ahead. But that's where the title came. No, okay, okay. What, well, hey, man, it's, it's good. It's good when our kids are able to to uh, get involved with with our careers and and also put their input on it. So, uh, sound like you got a, a very intelligent daughter. She is. She's she's a lawyer. She's a lawyer. Graduated from law school oh, so you, about four months ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, congratulations yeah. to her. Yeah. Yeah. But so, like I said, my intention was was just you know get this up and running, not do much with it. You know, I said you know, hey, I had one or two clients, it'd be great. Um, and so, I started uh you know moving around in it, and things things just kind of blew up. You know, I was doing a lot of one on one coaching, uh, which was which was great, but can also burn you out because you know still had a full time job, still you know law enforcement, still chief, and uh, and then all of a sudden things changed to where, you know, I started this conversation about facilitating conversations about diversity, culture, and our biases. And for the past year and a half, that's what I've been spending the most of my time doing, you know, talking to nonprofit organizations, talking to law enforcement organizations, talking to school districts. Everybody's wanting to have the same conversation as we're looking mm-hmm. at this So that's, that's pretty much uh, the background and, and how I you know, got to be involved in and uh, really this okay, okay. Well, and you know, uh, Chief Wade, you know, me and Chief uh, uh, Humphrey, we talked on the podcast show about the importance of of having good leaders and, and good leaderships in in policing, and uh, you know, so uh, it throughout your career, being in the military and being. Uh, serving in law enforcement, being a police chief, and especially this past year, and and, and even just even before this past year, um, what would you say would be the climate of leadership in your region where you're where you're at in in South Carolina? You know, it, you know the climate is, and, and, I, and I can speak, you know, like you said, for, for the region and, and myself specifically. You know, it has been, uh, you know, and I hope you don't mind me saying it just the way it has been. Everybody's been catching hell, really, for the past year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been tough, you know. You all, you anti Humphrey know, you know, coming to work and, you know, sitting down and trying to be strategic about things and, and, and wondering, have you laid, let me ask you this question. Have you laid in bed at, at, point, at any point during the last year and a half and thought about, what are we going to do if everybody gets sick? Uh, it, it, uh, and I think both of us can can say yes, uh, yeah. Keith. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's, yeah I, I, absolutely. Uh, hey, Chief, how you doing, man? Good, sir. I think the uh, thing that we we have to remember is that you know we're always thinking about contingency plans. You know, but I, I will say this, Chief, and I think I know where you're going with this one. Uh, how do you plan for this? I mean, how do you plan for a uh, a pandemic? Uh, we plan for weapons of mass destruction, active shooter, uh, large crowds. But how do you plan for something you can't see? Uh, and and then how do you how do you minimize the impact, uh, the adverse impact it could have? So you're right. You do stay up and you think about, you know, that we, we got the contingency plan for all those other things. We got those worked out. 
We we got mm-hmm. a plan. We got a policy for that. But you're absolutely right. That man, there's been a many a night. What happens if you lose a whole ship? Uh, what what services are you gonna have to change your your you know your vision and stuff? So yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, yeah. absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah. And so you know, my point. Go ahead, Keith. No, I was just going to say, you know, guys, we're going to be coming up uh, in a few minutes on, on our first break. Uh, but I want to remind our listeners that if you're just now tuning in to the, to the broadcast show, uh, you're listening to You and the Law, uh, we've got on uh, a guest who just retired as a police chief in Georgetown, South Carolina, uh, is uh, Chief Waits. Uh, he is a... Uh, uh, has a, a organization that is called that is Weights for Lifting, uh, helping strong leaders building uh, strong organizations. So um, we want to definitely uh, encourage you to stay tuned in to the show. And uh, if you miss any parts of this broadcast show, uh, definitely tune in to BlogTalkRadio.com backslash LA Bachelor uh, to to listen to. Uh, any parts of the show and let me correct myself that's thebachelornews.airtime.pro that's thebachelornews.airtime.pro and to listen to you and the law but guys we're going to take this break we come back but you're listening to you and the law on the bachelor news radio network if you've got a clogged up nose simply stuffy if you've got a snuffy nose simply stuffy if the rest of you feel fine, but your nose is out of line, give your schnozzle what it needs, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, from the makers of Children's Tylenol. It has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get the stuff out of your nose. If you take a serious body, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, use as directed. Now you can increase your yields by using Conklin's Guardian Slow-Release Nitrogen Additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. Welcome back to the You and the Law broadcast on the Bachelor News uh, Radio Network. Again, you can listen live right now at the website. It's on a, a delay, but you'll listen to it in its entirety at thebachelornews.airtime.pro, uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, or you can dial in by phone at 646-929-0130 as they're talking about yet another great topic 
uh, mentors. And I, I think for your your guest, uh, Chief, if, if I may ask uh, Chief Waits, and, and if, if that's okay with uh, you too, Chief Humphrey, in terms of, uh, you know, when you look at the, the, the landscape, Chief Waits, of uh, some of the new um, young brothers and sisters coming in as recruits and everything, how important is it um, to be um, the mentor? You, you guys got a gazillion years of experience. So how important is it for them coming in, those, those new fresh recruits, especially in this climate of, of uh, hate and division? Chief Waits, I'll let you uh, take off with that, sir. talking about and just talking about leadership in general uh, it's extremely important uh, because you know we set the tone right we set the tone from the time you know someone fills out the application as they go through the process as they go to the academy as they go to the FTO program you know we're, we're all involved in that process and, and, and we set the tone and I'll never forget there's a gentleman named uh, Lieutenant Matthew Grayson you know when I first started he was he was my FTO and uh, and he said and I never forget he said to me he said look man do the right thing always do the right thing he said but I'm gonna I'm go go a little step further he said he said and, and I'm not trying to be religious or, or or you know overly religious but he said trust in God man trust in God and do the right thing and your career mm-hmm. will be long and and, and, and and everything will be long and so you know I think it's important for you know, I've, I've worked at uh, agencies or interacted with law enforcement officers who said, hey, you know what, I don't even know my command staff. You know, my sergeant doesn't talk to me. I walk past these folks in the hallway, and they don't even speak. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. we, we, I mean, we, we have to be involved in these officers' careers. And, and, of course, we can't be every place all the time and, and put our hands on everybody all the time, but we have to be involved. We have to set the tone. You know, we have to let them know that. At the end of the day, yes, we all have to go out and, and do a job, but we all have families. Because that thing. We want to make sure that mental health is where it needs to be. And that we, you know, we care about not just getting them uh, incident reports done or doing those patrol watches or doing everything that we got to do with law enforcement, but we care about you as a family. You know? And I think that's a, that's a message that we, you know, we as leaders really need to uh, push across and express to our, to our floor and the people that work. Exactly. Chief Humphrey. Yeah, I think it starts from day one. I, I think I think what we try to do when it comes to leadership, we forget about the importance of when those uh when those recruits first get in the academy. Uh they they're leaders. They're, everybody has that potential, whether you're formal or informal. And we try to handle these kids with, with, with kid gloves and oh we don't want to talk about that because they may not understand it. And we need to push that to the older guys. We need to push that to – no, everybody in your organization needs to be involved in those conversations about leadership. Uh, we, we have set a tone in, in our profession that you're only a leader when you've got rank. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer, Chief Waits, and, and what I know about you and what I've, you know, what I've, what I've read is that I think you believe – I think I'm safe to say this, and I know Virgil does, leadership lives on every level of the organization. And uh, oh, yeah. we have to push that out there. We have to push it, push yeah. it, push it, and explain it to where people can understand it. You know, we don't need to use these big terms. Uh, you know, people use vicarious liability 
lot of people don't know what that is, you know. Uh, but you, you, you can use terms to scare people off, but your main focus is to get people to realize what their purpose in this profession is and that they can, people are watching, and, and no matter what you do, you always got to do the right thing. And, and if I had a mentor tell me, tell me the same, tell me, hey, it's all about, it's all about doing the right thing even when people aren't looking. Uh, and, and always reach back and grab somebody to pull them behind, pull them up with you. Yeah. Well, and you know, guys, you know, I, there's a quote that I like, uh, and it's be a voice, not an echo. And I think, you know, that is something that embodies the, the in, in leadership. Um, and and Chief that? Wade, did, you write that? Hey, did, you did I write that? that? Is that yours? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I came up with it. Man, you will put a copyright on something. I, I didn't know that. You'll put a copyright on something in a minute. Well, 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 hey, yeah, I, I I wrote that. I wrote that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, taken from anywhere else. So, you know, but, uh, but Chief Wait, you made a, a really good uh, point a while ago when you mentioned that how in some of these agencies that some of these officers don't even know they may the only time they may meet any their police chief or people in the command staff is when they are going through the academy or when they graduate the academy after that they may not see them for months uh and also with some of their supervisors so it's real important that you know uh those who are who serve in the position as police chief and as command staff as captains, majors, lieutenants, whatever the rank may be, is that you have you, you build a relationship with these officers. And I think some agencies are so big they they forget that. And and so and that hurts those those new officers that, that are coming in to the agency because they just don't really have that guidance and they don't really have those mentors and unfortunately they may end up getting someone who has some bad habits. That's right. Yeah. And, and it can happen. Let me say something about that. I, I, Chief, I'm sorry. Chief, wait, I'm sorry. I just want to say something. So we just had our um, field training officer review. And if you don't think these young officers pay close attention and you don't think that they're very, um, uh, how do you say it, that, they, that they're not oblivious. Uh, they they are paying a close attention, and they will say when you sit there and you talk to them about their FTOs, their field training officers, they're going to be honest with you. You know, we don't understand. I didn't learn anything. Uh, all this one told me about was bad mouth in the administration, or I know where to go and eat free. Uh, you know <laughs> things like that, and so I, I don't think. I mean, I mean, I don't think that's we real. understand. That's that's real. I mean, I just we just finished a a, a process a month or so ago, and just listening to, uh, you know, we had one that said, "Hey, this field training officer is amazing, but they got some major personal issues that they I can't learn anything because they're always arguing with their spouse." <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so. <laughs> that, that's the kind of stuff they don't realize that people, these kids aren't oblivious to that. These kids are paying close attention to them, and they get their leadership uh, mindset and, and their and their work ethic 
I mean, not work ethic, but their, um, you know, the way they're going to work for the remainder of their career, that's where it starts. You know, that, that's where yeah. it starts. So I just wanted to say that real quick. No, and I mean, you, you, you bring up a, a great point, you know, and I was just going to, you know, throw out there that, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we you know, Chief Humphrey, Chief Green, you know, we're, we're like, uh, we're like drum makers, right? And, and we got this big band, and we got different sections of the band. And a lot of times, it, it, if we don't pay attention and make sure that everybody is on the same page, we end up, just because we're busy meet, going to this meet, doing this, going to this training, we end up putting things on autopilot, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and the information, you may say, hey, I want ABC done. By the time it gets down to the lower right, it's backwards. You know what I'm saying? It's not what you said. Or or somebody on the command staff is saying, well, this is Chief, this is what Chief Green wants us to do, right, which is detrimental to everything in, in the process anyway. You know what I'm saying? They need to be saying, hey, this is uh this is what we got to do. I mean, everybody needs to be on the same page, and it takes work um, to – to, to get your command staff there, to get your supervisor, your sergeant, your, it, it takes work to get everybody on the same page. I had a um, a uh, somebody on my command staff say during a staff meeting one time, they said, well, uh, well, Chief, you know, this is your sandbox. Whatever you say, uh, then that's what we're going to do. And my question to him was, well, why do I need you? Wasn't trying to be ugly, wasn't trying to be overly critical, but if, you know, you're not going to think. You're not going to make decisions. You're just going to be a puppet. You're not going to sit down at this table and, and, and bring your years of experience and, and how you really feel about a situation. Then why do I really need you? Because we're not getting better. You know, I, I don't know everything. I, I'm sure, you know, Chief Green and Chief Humphrey, you know, you take the same posture. I don't know everything. And so that's why we have a, a command staff. We have a team effort. But it's important in setting that tone to making sure that everybody's on the same. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, <clears throat> oftentimes, you know, I, I think a lot of uh, officers, they get the imp- – they already know that, hey, if you're a police chief, you've got a lot of things going on. And uh, uh, But when you do uh, take the time and find the time to really engage with, with these young officers – it really surprises them. And, you know, just like you said, Keith, you, when you do these evaluations on the TO, uh, when they went through the FTO program, um, I think in this generation of, of people that's entering into policing, the old culture of policing um, about, um, hey, you can't see anything negative about your supervisor uh I think you've got a younger generation who are a little bit more inclined to to speak up and to be uh, more honest instead of just being reserved and saying, that's not my place, I'm not going to say anything. Um, I don't know, Keith, uh, have you noticed that uh, doing some of your uh, FTO evaluations? Yeah, if you can get to them before. Absolutely. If you can get to them before the union gets to them, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but I will tell you, yeah. yeah, they're they're being very honest. they're being very honest. They are a they are a uh, 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 it's a generation that they won't pull any punches. If you don't want to know, yeah. don't ask them. Uh, this is yeah. not your. This is not when we got into law enforcement where you didn't say much. Uh, yeah, they, they're they're going to let you know. 
Exactly. Well, hey guys, we're we're getting ready to come up on our on our second break, but we've got a lot of people that are that are tuned in listening to the show and want to thank everybody for for being on the line or listening on live to the show. But uh we're gonna take this break, guys, and we come back. We're gonna get into the finish up we're gonna get into the conversation with Chief Waits about uh Waits Lifted Life and Leadership Coaching L L C. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You must be your fairy godmother. In the classic fairy tale, Cinderella's dream comes true because the glass slipper fits. It fits. In our world, the right fit can be just as important. Good heavens, child. You can't go in there. Especially when it comes to car seats. Always choose a car seat that's the right fit for your child's age and size. Oh, that does make a difference. To make sure your little pumpkin gets there safely every time. Happy to you. Thank you. Remember, you're responsible for protecting your children. Their happily ever afters are in your hands. <laughs> for even more information about choosing the right car seat, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. This message has been brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the You and the Law broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WTON, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment. And, uh, of course, you can listen to the show right now at thebachelornews.airtime.pro, uh, or you can uh, dial in and listen by phone at 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with Chief uh, Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, and, and Chief uh, Kelvin Waits, the uh, guest. Um, just as a reminder, I will be screening your calls. If you have a question or comment for the Chiefs, you can let me know. If not, you can say you're just listening if you have a comment. Either way, I'll be screening. You'll hear silence on the line, and I'll ask you if you have a question or comment. You can let me know either way, and uh, we'll be happy to get those things on the air. Now back to Chief Virgil Green, Chief Keith Humphrey, and their guest, Chief um, Kelvin Waits. Hey guys, we're uh, talking with uh, Chief Kelvin Waits, who is the founder of uh, Waits Lifted and Life Leadership Coaching LLC. Uh, he just retired as police chief in Georgetown, South Carolina. So, Chief Waits, we're glad that you're able to come on the show and talk to us about your your um, your uh, life and leadership coaching and uh, uh, just how how that uh, incorporates into uh, what's going on in in policing as well as just in 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 the private sector as well. Okay, great. Yeah, and, and again, I'm glad to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, you know, both you and Chief Humphrey have been uh, been awesome. You can tell that our professionals and I've been doing this for a minute, so I feel real real comfortable. Well, um, well, hey, we we try to now, you know. You know, Chief, I'm gonna say this. Watch it. I, when it comes watch to it. when it watch comes it. to watch being watch a it. professional, watch it. Watch it. <laughs> but but 
but as as you can see, we we try to we we like we like to have a good time on on our uh, podcast uh, show, and uh, you know even with our guests, want to make sure our guests feel feel welcome and that they'll come back and and join us, you know, anytime. So uh, so this won't be your last time coming on the show. Believe that. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. But but just to talk about weights lifted a little bit, um, you know the 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 name of the company is is, is what it means. Uh, you know um, you know my goal has always been just to lift people up, uh, you know help leaders become better leaders. Uh, you know I do you know several different types of training. I do a master class called Never Have a Bad Day. Uh, I do I facilitate conversations about uh, culture, our biases, and diversity. I do a class called Leading in the Dark, Team Forward. I've actually, you know, uh, done presentations and classes for the South Carolina Sheriff's Association as well as the South Carolina Police Use Association, different nonprofit organizations. And, uh, and like I said, it goes back to uh, to weights lifted. Um, I can tell you, you know, I wrote a book about a year ago, a co-authored a book with uh, two other gentlemen called Never Have a Bad Day. And, uh, you know, that book came from an experience that I had in law enforcement. Several years ago, I wasn't the chief at the time. I was a captain, and uh, one Sunday afternoon, I get a phone call uh, from one of my officers, and, hey, I hate to bother you. And, of course, you know, what do we say when they call us? And they say, of course, you're not bothering me. You can never bother me. What's going on? And so the officer said, I'm hooked on drugs. That's what the officer said. I'm hooked on drugs. And so the dead – He said he hooked? Wow. Hooked on drugs. Wow, so he said he was hooked on drugs. Hooked on drugs. So the dead silence that you heard right after I said that was the dead silence that was on the phone when it happened. And, of course, you know, you don't expect to get that phone call Sunday afternoon. And so, you know, I kind of gathered myself and I said, okay, what's going on? You know, what kind of drug? You know, and come to find out it was was pain pills. Officer had been involved in the accident, had back issues, and couldn't stop taking the pain pills. Couldn't stop taking the pain pills. And we, you know, there's a lot that goes, a lot of dynamics that go on within this thing we call law enforcement, right, and service, but sometimes, you know, we, we, we deal with people that's walking around, and they hurt, and they are hurting. And uh, and so it's up to us as leaders and, 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 and command staff people and all of that to try to do the best we can to look out for warning signs and pick up on different things. But the reality is that sometimes we miss it. So, uh, I'm hooked on drugs. You know, uh, we had a strong employee assistance program. You know, I've got that officer uh, hooked up with appropriate people, got treatment. Everything worked out fine. The officer bounced back like like never before. And so about three months later, after that phone call, I get another phone call from the same officer. And so, Chief Green, what do you, what do you think when I saw that number on my phone, what do you, what do you think that came to my mind? It wasn't going to be a good phone call. I said, I'm going to just tell you, I, when I saw that, I said to myself, oh, hell, is what I said. I said, oh, hell, you know. And so, hello, hey, just wanted to reach out to you and, and said, I want to thank you for what you did for me. And, uh, and I said, no, nah, well, you know, I didn't, you know, anyway, I'm glad everything's worked out for you. I'm glad you're doing better. I'm glad you bounced back. But I didn't really do anything. You know, I just kind of did my job. And, and that officer told me, they said, no, nah, uh, you did more than your job because you don't understand that when I called you, I was prepared to take my life. I was prepared to take my life. Uh, if you didn't answer the phone, 
I was going to take my life. If you didn't give wow. me the answers that I needed when I got in contact with you, mm-hmm. I was going to take my life, right? And so the kicker was, the officer said, the only reason I even decided to call you was because you're approachable and you never seem like you're having a bad day. That is what that officer said to me. And, uh, and, and I'm telling you, that experience changed me as a leader because, yeah, I was approachable, but but I was so focused on results. You know what I'm saying? I was results-driven. I really didn't, uh, at that time, really dig in deep to really find out who these officers were and, and, and you know, know everything about their families and everything that I really should have known as a leader. But when that officer told me that, hey, I was prepared to take my life, but the only reason I even I decided to call you was because you were approachable and you never seemed like you had a bad day. That changed me. I was never the same after that, you know, in, in, a, in a good way. And so that was the basis of, uh, you know, the book I wrote and co-authored with these other two gentlemen because I believe that as leaders, you know, we can't – there's so much at stake, right? We can't afford to have a bad day. Sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy when I say that because – we're human, right? Technically, we, we all do have bad days, whether it be we woke up with a headache, you know, or, or, you know, our significant others getting on our nerves, our kids ain't acting right, our neighbor's dog barked all night. We are human and we have bad days. But when it comes yeah. to leading our people, you know what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's a calling just like being a priest. It's a calling like being a doctor. It is a calling, and when it comes to leading our people, you know, we got a little extra, you know what I'm saying? We got a stronger back to be able to carry the junk that we got to deal with, but still leave these folks at the same time. Yeah. Well, and, and, you, and, and you know, uh, Chief, one of the things I think a lot of people, uh, and, and Keith, you, uh, you know, probably have the same, you know, thought. It, being a police chief is, is just like being a coach of, of, of a Division One, whether it be, football or basketball, you know, you got all these players that you're dealing with and all these different um, backgrounds and different attitudes. And how do you, how do you manage that? How do you, how does your, uh, you know, how does your, you know, we call them supervisors, but how does your other coaches deal with, how do you deal with them to make sure that they are connecting with, with these, with these officers? And, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, we kind of get lost with there's so much stuff going on. And when you said that the, this officer said that you were approachable, one of the things I've tried to, to do with the agencies that I've served in is is just let officers know, yeah, there's a title uh, with the name, but I'm also a person. Um, and guys, you know, I like to I like to cook. You know, I like to get on the grill. So I've invited officers to come over to the house and let's on a weekend, and if I'm grilling, hey, you guys are welcome to come over. And you'd be surprised at the reaction that some of these officers have because it's like, well, I'm not going to go over to, to the chief's house, but why not? I mean, but then when they do, they see that you are just as laid back, and that builds that that rapport relationship, and that's why that officer called you that day and said, hey, I've got a problem, and and you really reached out and helped him. Look, Virgil, I, and the I, other thing, I got two things. Go ahead, Chief. Go, go ahead, Keith. No, I was just going to say no, that, that there is there, yeah, there is a there is a 
threat to that whole process as well. And, and you know, in, in every organization, you know, we, we talked about the younger folks, we talked about the millennials. Fear is what I call sometimes we got old salty dogs, right? They just old school. That's just the way it is. That's the way it's going to be. Don't be asking me no questions. Go paint the wall green. Get it done, right? And back in the day, that's how it was. But times have changed. And so, you know, a lot of times, you know, if, if we do our part and we make, uh, you know, the officers understand and realize that we're approachable, that, hey, we got an open-door policy. Yes, they're structured, and, and you need to push things up your chain of command. But if you need me, I'm here. A lot of times behind the scenes, they get discouraged. Well, don't you be going to talk to well, Let me see you talk to the chief. Don't you be going to talk you know. And so we got, we got to kind of deal with that and make sure that, you know, our command staff and, and, and subordinates, we are all on the same page. That, hey, yes, there's a structure in place. I expect you to use that structure. But if you need me, I'm here. And that's all I, yeah. I just want to add that to. Yeah. Go ahead, Keith. No, I, I was going to say, you know, what I, what I tell my guys, I, my, my command staff gets upset with me because I don't I don't go to lunch with them. We, we talk during the day and that's, I go to lunch with my line officers, with my with my mm-hmm. uh, civilian employees. Uh, they need to see that side. Um, and so those are the individuals out there that are on that front line, uh, your first-line supervisor, your officers, you, they need to see a side of you because they don't see it. You know, they, they, if there's, a, there's a, um, an omen, so to speak, on the administrative wing. Don't go there because if you go there, that's a bad sign. You don't want anybody to see you going out of there. They don't care about you. You have to reach down and show that you, that you do care. And then on the light side of that, Burgess, did you wash your hands before you grilled? <laughs> Always. See, see, okay. see there, you know, Chief, see Chief Waits. Hey, see, you see the abuse that I have to take. I mean, oh, I mean now, now I'll say this. Now, I've invited Chief Humphrey over uh, for you know for a barbecue, yeah. and now he he invited us over you know for steaks one time, you know. But so that lets you know his 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 grilling skills is is not very mm-hmm. well. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
You might know me, I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedinamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCON, Big Mind Entertainment, IBM TV. Um, and, of course, anywhere else you can download um, these type of, of programs, you certainly can do that. And listen live and rebroadcast at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, as I go back to you, Chief Green, Humphrey, and Waits, uh, I had two questions come in. Uh, Mark said, are... Um, the mentor, are there a lot of mentor programs um, and organizations working uh, to build uh, some of the, the, the younger officers coming in? And the other question was, and I, of course, lost it on my sheet here. Um, well, you can answer that one first, and I'll, I'll pull that up, uh, Chief Green and Humphrey. You guys can um, answer that first one there. Okay. Well, you know, I'll say there there are uh, quite a few organizations uh, that have mentoring programs, and key, you know, just as well as I do, is that Noble, which is the national organization of Black law enforcement executives, has a, a really good mentorship program uh, that's been around for 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 quite some time. Uh, so that's just that's one organization that has. Uh, a really good uh, mentoring program. You know what? You know what, Virgil? I'm glad you brought that up. And, and there's about seventy, about sixty-five percent placement uh, for police chiefs um, coming out of that program, and it could be higher. Yeah, I know it's very successful. Um, and, you know, the, the other mentoring. You know, I, I think there needs to be internal mentoring. And when it comes down to the question, Chief, I want to ask you a question. When you go out and you teach these, facilitate these uh, these classes, do you find that most of the time uh, people will raise their hand and say, when you ask who's a mentor, are you mentoring someone, or are you, or are you mentoring, period? And, and sometimes, or most of the time, they can only give you one or two names that they're mentoring. Um, they're not they're not talking about a program, they're talking about one specific person because they see something in this one particular person. They don't see it in multiple persons. They it appears that I can go with this one person because it's easy. I won't have all the overhead, I won't have all the, the frustration. But they don't realize there's other people that want to be mentored also. I mean is that what you see? Yes, sir, absolutely, and, and and I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say that, you know, in the past I've been successful within the department assigning mentors to new officers that come in. You know what I'm saying? Somebody to 
check in with them from time to time, make sure they're good, make sure the family's good, make sure they need it. Outside of their FTO or their immediate supervisor, like I said, I've been successful in assigning uh, mentors and people because, you know, in terms of leadership, we, we have to be intentional about, you know, we can't just put the success of somebody on autopilot and assume that, that everything's going to go as planned or everybody's going to catch on or everybody's going to make it through the FTO program the very first time because we all know it doesn't happen that way. So we have to be intentional. And like I said, in the past, I've actually assigned, we've assigned as a staff uh, mentors within the department for different officers kind of scattered about. And it works. It works. Okay. Well, hey, uh, L.A. Uh, has got the second question. Uh, go ahead with that yep. question. Yeah, sorry about that. Linda in Texas asked, um, it's funny, she had asked about Noble. Uh, for those who don't know Noble, the uh, uh, National Organization of Black Law Enforcement, um, is your mission to advance um, black and in, in law enforcement into administrative areas or build team leadership and mentorship? And then she said, um, is there a, um, a chapter in every, every state, guys? Well, well Virgil, it, Virgil, can, I, Virgil, can I answer that one? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So thanks, Linda, for that question. Uh, yes to all of the above. Uh, no, there's not a chapter in every city. Uh, you have to go back. Or every to the, state. Uh, every state. I'm so sorry. Um, you have to go back to the reason that Noble, the, the Black Police Association, uh, Black Law Enforcement Officers Association, why they were uh, founded, uh, because there was there was no voice. There was no there was no voice at the table uh, for those uh, people of color who wanted to be in law enforcement uh, executive positions or that should have been in law enforcement executive positions. I think a lot of times uh, we get we get confused when we say National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. And for a long time, there was a perception that Noble was just for executives, lieutenants and above. Yeah. But Noble is open mm-hmm. to all levels of police officers. And one of the things that I've noticed is there's a perception out there that Noble is strictly for African Americans. But when you go to a conference, you see a very diverse group of attendees. But the the focus is Noble Noble has a big seat at the table uh, when it comes to the federal government, when it comes to um, DOJ. Uh, Noble was a big part of the 21st century policing initiative that President Obama facilitated. Uh, Noble is is well-respected in all circles of law enforcement. Uh, They are also utilized to facilitate chief search, uh, police chief search. um, uh, When a city is looking for a search, uh, Noble has an amazing reputation when it comes to uh, uh, police departments looking for minority uh, police candidates and police chiefs. So, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it hadn't been for organizations like Noble and the founders of Noble and the founders of NBPA and, and, and Black Law Enforcement that set that tone and established that foundation uh, to help make the playing field level. Um, I, I will tell you this, and, and, and my first mentor, I'll just say this, my first formal mentor was a white male sergeant who saw something in me when you would have thought that the, the black executives at 
that at that time would have been the ones that were that would have that would have tried to mentor me, but a white male sergeant uh, who had a reputation of being a racist, and he was not. Uh, he was just a very quiet person, but he was the one that took me under his wings and mentored me and, and say, hey, this is this is the things you need to do to be a police chief. These are the things you need to do when you're supervising people, when you're out here in the community. So, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate to, to, to have some, some some really good people in my life uh, to help me get where I'm at. And so I would be remiss if I did not go back and help people, uh, make myself available to anyone who, who wants to learn. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, uh, Chief Wade, I have a question. So through mm-hmm. your, uh, you know, as you get out and travel uh, across, you know, South Carolina and outside of South Carolina, do you see uh, – has as far as agencies being receptive to having uh, individuals come in and talk to their officers about mentoring and mentorship and leadership uh what's your your thoughts on that are agencies kind of reluctant to 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 bring that in or uh, or you had some uh, what's been your success with that they, uh, I've been successful with it. Um, you know, they, uh, I don't, I don't see where anybody's putting any roadblocks anyway. Uh, you know, I got something coming up. I think uh, at the end of the month is a retreat uh, for a uh, law enforcement organization in the northern part of the state. Um, they were doing a retreat and they're bringing me in just for an hour to just to talk about leadership for their command staff uh, members. And but it's a retreat away. They're going to be staying at this location, and you know, and they're bringing me in to do it. Um, I don't see mm-hmm. – um, I, I just hadn't experienced any roadblocks with that. I've had a good experience. And, and you know, from my perspective, um, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, I don't know if you gentlemen have children or not, but you can tell your kids something over and over and over sometimes, and they hear it, and they can even mimic it and say it before it comes out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it seems like when they when they hear it from another source, you see what I'm saying? all of a sudden it clicks, you know what I'm saying, and it's validated. So from my perspective, I've never had, had a problem with bringing other folks in uh, to, to do, you know, mentorship or to do leadership training. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's really important that that it's something that agencies really get behind and support and uh, and encourage, you know, to have this that type of uh, leadership training brought within the agencies, uh, because oftentimes it's, it's always good to hear another voice um, when when it when you're talking about leadership. And, and Chief, you know, one of the things you you mentioned earlier about you know the climate that we've been in when you talk about um, everything that's happened with George Floyd to Breonna Taylor. Uh, if we could just go on with all the names that people have been affected by uh, by law enforcement, um, when you are talking with uh, with officers, um, does any of that come up as far as how they are seeing uh, what's going on with law enforcement and and what the future of law enforcement looks like? Yeah, it, it does come up, um, and, and, and it and it should. It should. Um, 
and it, and it shouldn't be a case, Chief Green. I don't believe that it should come up, you know, from from the officer. It should be grumblings, you know, what I'm saying on the lower levels. I, I think people want to know when things happen. People want to know where their leaders stand, right? And I think we have to have a clear uh, message and a clear voice. When crisis comes, might not be in your community, but it can be tomorrow. You know, what I'm saying or the next day. So if it happens around the country, I think it's important for us to bring that to the table right here, wherever we are, and, and, and have those conversations. You know, I'll never forget uh, an experience, uh, and, and I will call this, I've, I've got to do some really fun things during my law enforcement career. I've got to do some really fun things, cool things. Uh, you know, I've graduated from FBI National Academy. You know, I've had a great time. But if someone asked me, you know, hey, it's been the highlight of your career, I will, I will go back to the aftermath of the George Floyd murder in my city. Um, you know, there was uh, there was uh, civil unrest to the north of us. Uh, there was civil unrest to the south of us. And we actually got phone calls to, at the police department saying, hey, we're upset. You know, we want to protest. We want to march. But we want you to be a part of what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? Can we do this? Can we do this? Mm-hmm. Do you think we should you know, they made us a part of the process. And for me, that was the biggest compliment. And because you gentlemen know that it doesn't have to happen that way. It does not have to happen that way. Um, so we got that call, and we worked with the community, and, and, and we went out. We, you know, we were there. We supported them, and it was a peaceful protest. Uh, and nothing, you know, nothing bad happened that day. For me, that was a big-time accomplishment. And, and so the conversation leading up to that event, was with the department, and it was, you know, because some officers didn't know, well, why they got to be out of here? Why they got to be doing this? And I'm like, look, what happened, happened in everybody in, in this country's living room. We all saw it, mm-hmm. and, and, and yeah. people are traumatized, and everybody doesn't know how to dispose of that. And so here we are. You know, I said, hey, you may go out here today, and you may hear something you don't like. Somebody may call you outside your name. Somebody may do this. Somebody you know, something bad happened and people are reacting, and you got to understand that. I said, but the most important thing is is to realize that each and every one of you have this moment to walk out and shine a positive light on our industry, and that's what you need to focus on. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, and and you know, and I think this past year, you know, with the incident with George Floyd, is definitely, you know. Everybody really had to step up and be uh, a leader, especially when you have some officers who feel like what Chauvin did was was justified, and you've got some who who don't. But you know, and then you've got some officers who had the attitude of when there's a Black Lives Matter uh, protest, uh, why should the police chief? Why should we be out there? And I think that that. You know, when you are a good leader and you are able to sit down and talk with officers and to explain to them, this is why we're doing what we're doing, and we're going to do it as a group, uh, now people are able to see the frustration that that other people are feeling. Um, and, and I think that's why it's, it's so important for officers to, to also remember when you take off that uniform, you're just a civilian as well. So you've got to also have that uh, uh, have, have some compassion 
for what's going on, whether it's in your community or somebody else's community. But, hey, guys, we're coming up on the, the last few minutes of the show. Um, you know, Chief Waits, I want you to give out your information, how people can can get in touch with you, and, and information about your book. Okay. Uh, the name of my book is uh, Never Have a Bad Day. Um, you can find it. You can go to my website, which is www.weightslifted, W-A-I-T-E-S, lifted, L-I-F-T-E-D.com, weightslifted.com. You can find the book there. Or you can find it at uh, net. That's www.neverhaveabadday.net. Uh, you can reach me uh, through my email address. That's contact at kelvinweights.com. And uh, anytime you, if you just got a question or you're interested, you're inquiring about training or, or, or one-on-one coaching, uh, feel free to give me a call. And I normally respond to everybody within within 24 hours, but normally more quicker than that. Well, good, good. Chief Humphrey. You know, Chief Waits, he gets, you know, you know, Chief Waits, he gets quiet. He gets quiet. You know, I think, I think as the day go along, man, you know, that old folks syndrome starts setting in, man. Mm. You know. No, I'm thinking about what insult I'm going to throw at you. That's, that's what I'm thinking about. I want to make sure I get the right insult.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. No, you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.